Does anybody have anybody in their life that's difficult? I mean, come on, raise your hand. Anybody have anybody in their life that's difficult? Oh, man. There's difficult people in this world, isn't there? There's difficult people in this room, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. We all have difficult people. The question is, how do we respond to difficult people? Paul, uh, in the last verses, we read verses uh, from chapter four, verses one through three, he called us to unity. He called the church of Philippi to unity. And that was the call for those verses. And now he's gonna speak to the church on how to live, how to witness, how to exist in a world that is full of easy people, normal people, and difficult people. No matter what, we fall into one of those categories, right? I think most of us would consider ourselves the easy person, right? But we know that there's people in our life, there's people that we're gonna come in contact with that are hard, and it's gonna to speak to that in this passage. But before it gets there, it's a reminder in verse four of kind of the theme of this passage. It says this in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, what? Always. Always. I love this reminder because the theme of Philippians really is joy. It's calling the church to this joy in the Lord. And he's saying, rejoice again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Some things I wrote down this week just to remind myself when it comes to rejoicing is it's not rejoice if things are good. It's not rejoice if times are good. It's not rejoice if my family's good. It's not rejoice if my bank account is good. It's not rejoice if my relationships are good. Now, can we rejoice in those things? Yeah, but there, there's, a, there's a very specific word here that I think is hard to realize. Rejoice in the Lord always. Anybody, I don't know if I'm alone in this, but it's hard to rejoice sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to rejoice sometimes. And I have to remind myself, like when I read this passage, that my, when I learn to rejoice in the Lord, it changes my view on rejoicing because we live in a world that chooses to rejoice in the things that are good of this world. See, I wanna challenge you today, church, to not rejoice in the things of this world, but rejoice in the one who sets above this world. Rejoice the one on the throne. When it says rejoice in the Lord always, what are we rejoicing in? We are rejoicing that he is on the throne. That in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of a hard season, I can still rejoice because he is on the throne. When my life is crumbling, I can still rejoice because he is on the throne. Amen? And then verse five, I love this verse, says this. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness. It's an interesting word. Other translations would say that this word is translated to let your gentleness be known. Let your reasonableness be known to who? Everyone. Not just those who are reasonable. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. This is a call to the believer. This is a call to the follower of Christ to live your life in a way that is reasonable and gentle. 
Man, this is something, this call from Paul in Philippians is so important for us, the church today. Because we live in a world that seems like to be heard, to be noticed, you have to be aggressive, you have to be outspoken, maybe even you have to be angry. But we hear Paul calling the church to live a life of reasonableness, gentleness. I I dive in deep to this passage in the small group curriculum this week on how we, we can be reasonable and gentle with people in a world that seems like it's harder and harder to do so. It says, the, and then it closes this verse out in verse four, with the Lord is at what? Hand. The Lord is at hand. That the, that the Lord is coming. Be reasonable and gentle with everyone because the Lord is at hand. When we know God is first in control, he's on the throne. When we know he is in control, and we know he is just. When we read Romans 12, 9, we, we hear of the justice of God, the things of this world that maybe anger us, the things in this world that cause us to become frustrated with people. We know God is just, and he is going to always be just. When we know he's in control, he's just, and he's returning, we can both rejoice and be gentle. We can rejoice in a hard season and we can be gentle in a world and a reasonable in a world that seems to have lost those two things. We can be these things. And then verse six says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love this verse in verse six because right at the beginning, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. When I I read this, it's so encouraging for me because it reminds me that there's nothing in my life that is too small for God. There's nothing in my life, yes, that is too big for God, and I think a lot of us, we believe that. We sing songs about that all the time. We, we sing songs, we praise, like you can move mountains, you, you can do all these amazing things, and we think of the big areas in our life that may cause anxiety, but this passage, I think when it says everything, is it's reminding us that God cares about the little areas of your life that stress you out. He cares about those little moments in your life that bring anxiety into your life. And here, if we're honest, here's what a lot of us do. We are really good at going to God for the big areas of our life. Man, I need this job, I'm gonna be with God. I need, I need a big move of God in this relationship. I'm gonna really, I'm gonna bring it to God. But then we get to the little areas and they do bother us, they, they make us struggle, these things in our life. We're like, well, God doesn't care about that. I used to convince myself this all the time. I thought God had a certain um, bandwidth of time to answer prayers in. So I would always weigh my prayers before I went to him. I was like, is this worthy of going to him for? Is this worthy of his time? And then I started to think, what a small mindset of God that I would put that he has a time frame on which he can move. Don't be anxious about anything is a reminder A reminder to us to come to him with what? All things. The little things. The big things. And when I think of being anxious and coming to him with these things, I try to remind myself every day of this. 
I wake up and I try to remind myself every day of this. I don't know, maybe some of you have this problem. When you first wake up, and maybe I'm alone in this, I will first wake up and the first thoughts that will go through my head is the stressful things I have that day. Sometimes I'll even dream about them. That's the worst, isn't it? Anybody ever had this dream where you've dreamed you worked eight hours, you wake up, you're like, ah! <laughs> Overtime! <laughs> you ever gotten in an argument with your spouse in a dream and woke up mad? <laughs> like, how dare you talk to me that way? What, what are you talking about? You know, I, I sometimes I'll wake up anxious. Like, I, I got a hard meeting today. I got this big thing coming up and I'll wake up and it'll be the first thought that runs through my head. And I have this practice I try to do and I just wanna share it with you to help you when you read this verse to maybe if some of you struggle with this, if some of you get stressed and anxious, I try to remind myself that I have the opportunity to give it to Jesus every day. And I will actually do this. I will wake up and I'll have these thoughts and I might be laying in bed, I might be in the shower at this moment, but I'll, I will have my hands and I'll say, God, this is yours. And I remind myself that he owns the results. He owns the results of my, uh, these things. He is over, he is on the throne. So I try this practice of like just thinking, stressing, uh, uh, and sometimes it takes me longer to get there, but I'll get there and say, okay, Jesus, this is yours, I can't do this. Little things, big things. I'd say, ask myself, and then throughout the day, it'll start to creep back into my life. Shane, who owns the results? Who owns the results? Jesus. I can trust him with that. I can trust him with that. With all things. And then it says, with prayer and supplication. Prayer, I want to break these two words down briefly for you, is this idea of, I see prayer as a communication between me and God. This is where I will sing his praises. This is where I will proclaim truths about him. This is where I, I will speak to him in a communication style. Supplication is the word calling us to bring requests. Supplication is bringing the request to God. In fact, if you look at the, the dictionary um, meaning of supplication, this is what it would say. The action of asking or begging for something, earnestly or humbly. This is a great definition. We come to God, we come before him in prayer and supplication. We're coming to him with our requests, but how we come to him is important, is it not? We come to him Making our requests humbly, humbly, pleading. I, I think there's some of us, if we're honest, we approach our prayer life and our relationship with Jesus like so far from this kind of reality we're called to. Here's how, I'm just gonna, and don't hate me for this, but this is how some of us practice this. Well, God, I, I guess if you're not busy, you know, um, it'd be cool if you showed up. I mean, I, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever time you got, you know, like, I just, you know, if you can, if you could see me, it'd be cool. And we, we approach God with this almost like questioning or doubting if he really will. 
This kind of rocked me this week because I started to evaluate my prayer life. How often do I go to God in prayer and supplication and I go to him with a heart of wondering, are you going to show up? Really, I, I'm asking myself this question as I'm praying, as I'm communicating to him. I wonder if we changed our supplication, our prayer to this kind of crying out to him with everything we have because we know he's going to show up. Do I, do I pray that way? Or do I pray in a second-guessing, timid kind of way? Do I pray in such a way that I go to him with doubts at the beginning? Or do I go to him humbly and crying out for the one who can move mountains to move in the little area of my life? Imagine how different we would approach the day if when we went to God, we really believed he could show up. That we really believe he would move in the areas of our life. We really believe he could change the heart of that hard person we're meeting with. Really believe he could change the dynamic of the team you're on at work. We really believe he could move in our kid's life like we need him to. Do we go to him? Do we get on our knees daily and cry out for God to move. I hope we can get better at this practice. And then it says, go to him with prayer and supplication with what? This is a very important word. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. As, as a young believer, this has nothing to do with my sermon, I just think it's funny. As a young believer, whenever I would hear go to God with thanksgiving, I was like, okay, so you have to do it at dinner. Like, you have to have a meal and then he'll show up. You know, that's why I gained so much weight. A lot of prayer. <laughs> just joking, just joking. Go to him with thanksgiving. What is thanksgiving in prayer and supplication? I believe thanksgiving is, yes, remembering and proclaiming all the times he has moved and showed up in your life, which you know he has. I hate to, church, hear me on this. Some of you are going through something really hard right now. God has showed up in your life before. Remember that. In the midst of your trial right now, praise him for what he did a year ago. In the midst of your struggle right now, praise him for how he moved last month. Praise him for those things in the midst of a trial. Go to him in thanksgiving. I also believe thanksgiving is a non-demanding mindset. That when we go to God, we are not barking orders at God. Okay, I know I use my kids as illustrations, and maybe you guys are tired of it. Don't be, don't be mad at me that God blessed me with great sermon illustrations as kids, okay? <laughs> my kids, this week I had another one. I'm preparing, I'm thinking through this idea of Thanksgiving and going to him with Thanksgiving. I put on a movie for the girls, had this amazing movie experience ready for them, got them all tucked in, getting relaxed, gonna have a great movie night. Turn it on, got the volume just right. I go to walk out the room, and I'm thinking in my head, like, I'm a great dad. <laughs> like, I am killing this. And I'm like, my kids, they love me, they respect me, get it, dad. And then my daughter made me question everything. <laughs> As I'm walking out, she says, and I'm gonna try to use the same exact tone she used, dad, get me a bar, get me a treat. 
I thought I heard now, but I don't know. That might have been in my head. <laughs> Dad, get me a treat. I said, what? <laughs> oh, you mean the treat, the bed that you're on, that I've worked for for you to sleep on, the TV that is turned on by the electricity that I paid for to work, that treat? She said, no, a piece of candy. I said, okay, no, but I'm going to use this on Sunday. Because this is honestly how we do with God. God, work now. God, do this. God, give me this. And I just wonder if God's, you know, oh, do you mean? Like that time, I showed up that one time. Do you mean giving you life? Do you mean sitting on the throne over the world? Do you mean putting a plan in place to save you from yourself and your sin so you could spend eternity with me in heaven? Oh, is that what you mean? (laughs) Go to him with thanksgiving, not a demanding mindset. Which then the last part of this verse, it says to be made known. Go to him with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and make your request known. Why do we need to make our request known? He knows all, right? It's not that we're informing him of our need, but reminding ourselves of our need of him. When we go to him with our request, it's not reminding God that he can do something, it's reminding ourselves that he can do something. Make your request known to him, no matter how big or how small. And then verse seven says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I just want to focus in on this idea of the peace of God here. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. What is this peace of God? There's really three ways you'll hear of the peace aspect in Scripture and a reference to God. I want to break down these three, and I want to say what this one is saying here. The first one you will hear in other pieces of Scripture is peace from God. This is the peace that comes to us as a gift from God. You'll, you'll hear in Scripture a peace from God, that we can go to him where can, we can request his supernatural peace over our life. And he can gift us that kind of peace, peace from God. And the second one, there's peace with God you'll read about in Scripture. This is a relationship that you enter into, that this is the kind of peace that when even in the midst of something, you can find peace because you're with God. You're in relationship with him. You've been, you've been made right by Jesus, and you have community with God. And then there's this peace it speaks of here. This is the peace of God. When you study this line here, you will see that over and over again, this is speaking to a peace that is beyond all mind, beyond understanding. This is speaking of a kind of peace that goes beyond our power of thinking. We can't even comprehend the peace of God in our human form. We can't even fathom. We could try as hard as we want right now to think about the most peaceful thing in the world and it still wouldn't even do this justice. And the peace of God is beyond our ability to understand and explain. Therefore, it must just be experienced. We can't even comprehend this kind of peace. We just, we just, we just pray for it and we experience it in relationship with him. That's the kind of peace that we're speak, speaking of here. And then 
It goes on, it says, to, it surpasses all understanding, meaning like it's saying right there, you can't even comprehend the peace of God. And then it says to guard your hearts and your minds. To guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I think there's something in us guys that doesn't take or put enough weight into this passage that we should. Being called to guard your heart and your mind. To, to, to purposely work for the guarding of your heart. Like putting stuff and structures in your life to protect yourself, to protect your mind. These structures and these things to purposely guard. Now, I was thinking about this this week with this idea of guarding and protecting. I think if we had to draw a picture of in each of our lives how we guard and protect our heart, and we had, to, we had to draw a fortress and we had to put our armies where they were, I think a lot of us would be disappointed with the army we've built. We would look at it and say, that doesn't seem like enough for that army. We are called to guard and protect. We are called to build things in our life to protect us, to guard us, to rely on him in such a way that we are, when the enemy comes, when the lies come, when it tries to get into our head and into our heart, we are able to protect and guard. And I want to, let me just speak to how we do this. In the next verse, verse eight, says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How do we guard our heart? How do we guard our mind? We, we practice this verse. We think about things that are true. We think about things that are honorable and just and pure and lovely in a world that's constantly pulling our mind to think differently than this. I mean, guys, it's so hard to think about truth, to set our minds on truth in a world that seems to run from truth. It's so hard to think about com being commendable and excellent and pure in a world that calls us in another way. If we wanna guard our heart and guard our minds, it's when we set our minds on these things. I wanna practice just an exercise with you really quick. I'm gonna read this verse again, a little bit slower. And I want you just to do, internally do a little exercise with me. As I read through it, I want you to ask yourself, for example, for brothers, whatever is true, I want you to take a couple seconds to say, what are the lies I'm believing? What are the lies I'm believing? So let's do this, just inside yourself, let's read it again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You wanna guard your heart and your mind, start to read this verse over and over again. 
and fix your mind to seeking after these. Seek after truth. Seek after purity. Seek after excellence. Build that fortress up around your life. It's not easy to do this, is it? It's not easy, right? It's not easy to put your mind on things that are true. It's not easy to put your mind on things that are excellent. Jack talked about this, but I wanna just do a little secondary push. You know who it's especially not true for? Our young people. Guys, our young people, are, they're, they're, when it comes to un, not being true and all these things and, and purity and all, it's so hard for them in the world they're going. That's why one conference is so important. That we would speak truth to them. That they would fall in love with a God who is just and they would seek purity. All these things. This weekend is something that can realign a student to the one who created them. We should be thinking on these things as well. Like Romans 12, two says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What in my life, what are things I need to do? What are thinking patterns I need to get rid of? What are habits I need to change to get to a lifestyle that practices this? Think on those things. And I'll close here with verse nine. Okay, before I close, I got about four minutes till your lunch plan start. In preparation for this passage this week, God began to stir up in me something just like overwhelming with the importance of this passage to the believers today, for myself, for us in this room. Verse nine says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, I'm gonna say that again. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul in this letter, He's getting close to closing this letter out to the church. In fact, next week's our last week in Philippians. He's closing this letter out. And he says this line that, I mean, it was written thousands of years ago. And I felt like it was just cutting into my heart this week. Let what you have learned and received from me what you've heard and seen, practice these things. If I, if I get one thing from Paul from this, is I wanna live a life that what people see in me, they should practice. I wanna live a life of what I teach, they should practice. I wanna live a life of what they've learned from me, they should put into practice. Does our life reflect this? Does our life scream, follow me as I follow Jesus? When it comes to dealing with people, leading people, loving people, teaching people, I want what Paul has here. I want to be the kind of believer that from the bottom of my heart can say, do as I do. 
where I could boldly go before you and say, hey, do as I do, live as I live because I am honoring God. I wonder for us, the church today, if we woke up every day and said, God, let me live this life today. Let me lead and teach and show in such a way that people are drawn to you. Man, it would change the way we would treat people, wouldn't it? It would change the way we treat hard people. It would change the way we treat a hard and broken world. It would change our mission. We wouldn't just be going to survive the day. We'd be on mission for the day. If I want a life like Paul is calling the church here to, to set the example, I'll close with this. All of us in this room this morning or online, you're setting an example for someone. There is someone who's looking at you right now, right now in your life, and is saying, I am gonna make life decisions. I'm gonna make faith decisions on how they live, on how they treat people, on how they show Jesus. Maybe it's kids, maybe it's friends, but there's someone who's looking to you to live a life like Paul, to set the example, to be real, to practice what you preach, to not just say good things, but bring good things. That's looking to you to not just say you love people, but love people. That is looking to you to communicate in such a way that speaks life, not death. That is looking to you to show them really what do the hands and feet of Jesus look like. That is looking to you to be a representation. Representation of someone who was bought with a price who lives like it. I want to be this kind of believer. And it should change the way I interact with the world. Amen? I'm going to pray, and I'll close this out. As I pray, I want you just to echo this prayer in your heart. God, give me a heart after this that I can learn and teach and lead and love in such a way that people should follow me. Are you worth following? Are you, worth, are you living a life that is worthy of an example? Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for today. We thank you that you are here with us and we thank you for this book. This book of Philippians that has just changed us in so many ways. Pray that you would continue to pull us close to you this week. That you'd give us tangible things to to move forward in, to take steps of faith in, to trust you in. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name, amen.